0: This is a HeadGum Podcast.
1: Welcome to Buckets. Today we're talking about the ELAM ending, the idea that a basketball game should resolve at a specific score, not at a specific time. It makes sense to anybody who's ever played on the weekends or after school with friends. A basketball game ends at 11 or 21 or whatever. It's not when there's zeros left on the clock. The whole fun of basketball is that you just need a ball and a couple hoops. Nobody's out here getting a scoreboard. Who has the time? But that's not how it goes in organized basketball. A game always lasts until the buzzer sounds. At least, that's how it's always been until the basketball tournament instituted the ELAM ending a few years ago. And most recently, the NBA All-Star Game this year. The fourth quarter was played untimed until either team hit 157, which was 24 points more than the leading team had after three. The result? combined with a few other factors like charity, team captains, and Kobe's passing, created one of the most memorable All-Star games in any sport ever. In its highest profile use case, the Elam ending shined. The man behind the Elam ending? Longtime Denver Broncos place kicker Jason Elam. Oh, sorry about that. I mean, professor at Ball State University and current Buckets guest, Nick Elam. you getting bucket buckets. Sir, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for making the time in what I can only assume is your busiest week ever. Hey, it's great to be on the show. By now, most basketball fans, or at least the diehards, know about your contribution to the NBA All-Star Game, but I wanted to rewind a little bit. Uh, you said in your interview with Zach Lowe that you've been working on this idea for like 13 years, so I'm, wor- I'm wondering about like the genesis of where this got started. Like, Where were you living? What were you doing? What gave you the audacity to figure yeah. this out? Absolutely. So I'm a lifelong
0: basketball fan. And so in 2007, I was living and working in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, it was always disheartening to me how the late stages of games where the style and the quality of play deteriorate so often, where the leading team stalls and plays very passively. The trailing team, they have to foul and and hand away free points at the foul line when they're on defense they have to rush and force up ugly shots when they're on offense. All right, That whole combination of factors makes the outcome of the game very predictable. It makes late comebacks unlikely. And what you get are many big games and good games throughout basketball history uh, that just kind of fade out with a whimper without one signature moment to carry on. And so uh, it was in 2007 when the white ball kind of went on that all these phenomena are attributable to the game clock. And so uh, I thought, well, maybe if you got rid of the clock at the end of the game, that would address these issues. So, that's where it started, and for, for a few weeks and months, uh, actually, it was me researching it because I thought for sure that there was some sort of uh, fatal flaw with the IBR. To me, at first, it seemed like a gimmick, but the more that I really researched it, the more I started to believe in it, the more I believed that it would be necessary and sound and that it could be very cool, and when I actually uh, started to regard it as an anti-gimmick that it would actually lead to a
1: style of play less gimmicky than what we see under the current format. That's awesome. Uh, so you're like, what, 24, 25 when you're coming up with this idea?
0: I was 24 when I first thought of the idea in 2007, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's crazy. So what does 13 years of research look like when it's just uh, coming up with a format for the ending of basketball games?
0: So in 2007, I took a deep dive into the 2007 NCAA tournament mm. and really dissected it as much as I could. Uh, then the net culminated at spring and that summer that culminated into a book that I distributed to people in the basketball world, just trying to to generate some discussion about the idea. Uh, as the years went on, it would again kind of be like an annual uh, thing where I would gather some data from the NSA tournament and still try to reach out to people and, and whatever. But um, in 2014, I really thought, well, I, I'm going to need a more robust sample if I'm really going to make a convincing argument here. And so from 2014 to 2018, I really went all in uh, with a really intensive research effort gathering data from uh, over 2,900 NBA and NCAA and Olympic Games. And I don't know if that's what did the trick, but I know that that strengthened my argument. And uh, again, it was in 2017 that TBT, the basketball tournament, wanted to give this format a chance for the first time, and they implemented it on an experimental basis. That's awesome, how did you reach
1: the basketball tournament? I know you had that book and you were passing it around, but like what are the steps to actually implementing it?
0: Yeah, so by that time in twenty sixteen, I put that book you know on the on the shelf you know long long since at that point but uh, and, and by that time, I'd kind of moved on to uh, a couple really just a couple discussion boards, but that caught the attention of a blogger who let me blog for his site and I got to write for the Cauldron, and I got a few other speaking opportunities. So I was starting to get a little bit of a platform for it. Uh, In 2016, you know, this was one of just many different rounds of reaching out to people. This time I thought, you know, I'll try different semi-pro leagues and events and international leagues. TBT just happened to be on that list, and uh, I emailed just their general email uh, inbox, and... Uh, just got a reply within a, a day or two, a reply that was more promising than any reply that I had gotten before. Now I was cautiously optimistic, uh, but as the weeks and months went on, we, we stayed in touch. And then that's when, in in the spring of 2017, that's when
1: they said that they wanted to implement it, and they were the ones who gave the format its name of the e ending. It's funny how it all started with an email to a general inbox hoping to God that they responded, and they're like, yeah, we're interested, and in fact, we'll go for it. Right,
0: and I mean, I wouldn't even say that I was holding my breath or anything at that point. I mean, we're talking nine years into this effort, who knows how many hundreds of emails and phone calls and snail mail letters I had sent at that point. So, I mean, I didn't really have any reason to think that uh, this that this outreach was gonna work any better than it had before, but you know, still I, I thought that the this whole dream, this whole project still had a pulse and figured, uh, you know, here, here we are again. We'll just try try another time. And
1: this one turned out to be the time that it worked. So while you're doing this stuff, I assume it doesn't, you know, pay well. So what what's your job while you're uh, trying to revolutionize basketball on the side?
0: Right. So, yeah, this has always just been kind of an independent project. And uh, so, I mean, my full time job has been in the education world. I started as a classroom teacher. That's what I was doing in 2007 when I uh, first thought of this idea. And then I moved to become a. A high school assistant principal and an athletic director, and then I was a fourth grade through sixth grade principal when uh, when TBT and I began to collaborate, and then now uh, I am a uh, a professor at Ball State University. Wow, professor for what? Educational leadership. So you know, as I mentioned, I was a, a school principal in my earlier in my career, and so I work with graduate students who want to become school principals.
1: Oh, that's cool. This all feels like a Aaron Sorkin movie like Moneyball part 2.
0: Hey, if they want to turn it into a movie that'd be great. Sign me up.
1: Mm, Brad Pitt as Nick Elam. How does that sound? Although, well, that that part I like. Although I've always
0: <laughs> thought that there's there'd be something I've always thought there'd be something a little depressing about seeing my entire life condensed into 2 hours. But uh, I don't know if that opportunity ever came. I don't think I could turn it down.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, so then uh, the TBT is happening. At what point does the NBA start calling or do they, or do you find out like the rest of us in a in a, a press release that they're actually <laughs> going to be using your Elam ending for their All Star game? Yeah, so
0: you know, again, they they were certainly they've certainly been on these uh, contact lists, you know, all these years. Uh, I've reached out to the NBA you know, countless times during that span. And uh, again, just thought being per- persistent about it would, would eventually lead to a breakthrough. Uh, most of that has been one-way communication, just me kind of leaving the idea at the doorstep and not knowing where the discussion went. Uh, there's been some limited two-way communication in recent years, but then it was on January 23rd when uh, the NBA contacted me. They, they told me, First, they wanted to thank me for my passion for the game and my innovative ideas. They said that in their internal discussions with the players' association, that the players really see a lot of merit in this concept of an untimed finish to games. Uh, they laid out what they were planning to do for the All Star game to play an untimed fourth quarter, which you know, where well, this is one of the versions of the format that I'd laid out many years before. And then they said they wanted to send me uh, to All Star Weekend in Chicago as a guest of the NBA. So that was really exciting when they they announced that. So it's really been great that they've acknowledged me behind the scenes like that. And I'm confident as time goes on that they will uh, be more intentional about acknowledging me publicly and in a lasting way as the originator of this concept.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's cool that they didn't just steal the idea and claim it for themselves. That's a, that's another great movie moment is you getting that email and them flying you out to Chicago. Right. Cause, uh, that's, that was an underlying fear, you know, all these years is that finally someone
0: would embrace the idea and they'd say, all right, well, thanks. See you later. And kind of (laughs) leave me in the dust. And that was why it was so great when TBT, uh, you know from the start they wanted to make sure I got credit for the idea they would again like I said they uh named the idea the Elam ending they've redesigned their game ball to have my signature on the game ball and uh whoa that's awesome yeah so that's really cool and you know again I
1: I think um as time goes on the NBA will find it find their own way to uh, acknowledge me yeah whether it's on the game ball or maybe on the, the sole of every shoe or something something small like that <laughs> Uh, so when did you find out that this was actually Chris Paul's idea? Because I think that came out during some behind-the-scenes camera work at the actual game itself.
0: Yeah, I think the first that I knew that—well, I, I, during that call, when they called on January 23rd, that was part of the discussion, is that they said that uh, that Chris Paul uh, was the one who really kind of put the idea to to Adam Silver— about doing this. And I already knew that Chris Paul was a big supporter of the Elam concept because he coaches a team in TBT and he's been very vocal and very positive uh, with TBT organizers about the Elam Ending. Um, now, I did not know that uh, he was go- you know, going out of his way to try to propose this for the NBA All-Star
1: Game, but I'm certainly glad that he did. That's cool. So then the game is starting to unfold. Yet another movie moment. Are you watching nervously, hoping to God that it comes down to like next basket wins, which is what happened? Kind of like Adam Sandler at the end of Uncut Gems, hoping to God this works out for you.
0: Well, I, I, I won't say nervous, uh, because I I really didn't think, I mean, I know that that the Elam ending has a, has a firm home in at TBT where it, it has the chance to be Uh, stress test a little bit more and have a larger sample of games. So, uh, you know, I knew one way or another that that Elam ending gets to live on beyond All-Star Weekend. Uh, So I won't say I was nervous. I will say that I was hopeful. I was hopeful for a couple things. One, I just wanted the game to be within 10 points going into the fourth quarter, uh, which it was. It was a nine-point game. And I felt like the stronger team, Team LeBron, was the one trailing at the time. So I thought we had a good chance to see... A, a good comeback and a good uh, suspenseful finish there. And the other thing I was hoping for was just just that the, you know, the the level of play, the level of competition was a little more spirited than what we would normally see in an All-Star game. And that was, that far exceeded my expectations during that fourth quarter when, I mean, the, the, the intensity was
1: like an NBA Finals game. Oh my gosh, yeah. It felt like beyond a playoff game. People, players were trying so hard.
0: Yeah, it was great. And I mean, just to think that here we have all the greatest players in the world all in one court, which you can't even say that in the NBA finals. Uh, you know, here, we, all the greatest players in the world all in one
1: court playing under a format that, uh, I devised was really cool. I, my God, I can't believe it. And then, uh, the, the game ends with an Anthony Davis missed free throw, then a made free throw. Right. Do you have like the statistics on how many games end with a three-pointer, a two-pointer, or a one-pointer?
0: Uh, I do. I, I don't have them off, offhand. I know that for free throws, it's for TBT, it's about uh, 20% of games end with a free throw. Oh,
1: so not that high.
0: No, no, no. It, it's low, and you know, I think that's a pretty palatable percentage in my mind. I think we just need to be prepared that, that a small percentage of games might end with the free throw. And, you know, again, when you, when you compare that to, um, you know, I guess necessarily that means 80% of games with Elam ending would end with a made field goal. And you, you compare that to the regular format where it was really striking to me through my research that only about 1% of games ends with a meaningful made basket, ends with the buzzer beater. That was really surprising to me. And even in a lot of those cases – this moment is spoiled a little bit because you have to go to the monitor for a review to see if the shot was. The time. Right. Whereas in the Elam ending, it takes out all the guesswork. You don't have to wait around for
1: a review. Right, right, right. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bike clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? So I like what you said on the low post, which is basically if the worst case scenario is the game ending on a free throw, then it also it almost like helps your case because that's so much better than, you know, a team dribbling it out or hugging each other with like seven seconds left in the game, playing hot potato for a 24 second violation.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at, uh, you know, how the way the game's end now it's uh, it's not pretty. It's so, so many circumstances have to align just right. Uh, to get a great finish under the regular format. And with the Elam ending, you know, it's it's the norm uh, for to get a great finish and to get solid basketball leading up to that finish.
1: That's right. And then, so that's worst-case scenario. Um, how would you compare the best-case scenario, a buzzer beater versus like a three-pointer to win in the Elam ending? Would you say they're comparable, equal? This was one of the things I thought was
0: really, you know, important to see. You know, on on paper, I always felt like a sudden-death finish uh, could be just as exciting as, say, a buzzer beater. And so it was really, you know, for the first time, beginning in 2017, when the format was implemented for the first time, this is really the first chance I had to see, okay, is that really true? So I've tried to travel around and attend as many TBT games as I can to get the atmosphere in the arena. And I'm telling you, when these games come down to a sudden death finish, when that final shot goes through the net, it really ha- still has that look and that sound and that feel of a buzzer beater. And so that's why I always say that the Elam ending is a way that we can keep and enhance what we already enjoy about late game play, but eliminate or alleviate the things we don't enjoy.
1: I posted on Twitter asking um, if anybody had any alternatives to the free throw ending. They, we, I, I got a lot of crazy, weird um, alternate endings that I'm sure you've considered, but I just wanted to throw some at you to get your reactions to them.
0: Okay. Um, and by the way, just before we get to this, there there are some that I've I've considered over the years. There's others that I have heard for the first time just since the All Star Game. Um, you know, the thing I always look for are just unintended consequences. And so, uh, yeah, go ahead and and let's see what. What ideas you have in mind there?
1: All right, great. Um, the most common one, uh, which Haralabab, a great Twitter follow, suggested, or maybe he saw that somebody recommended, was that a free throw doesn't add one to the leading scorer, but rather subtracts from your opponents during that elam period. So you can't really win on a free throw, but it gets your opponent further away from the the what's that called? The final score, the goal score, the
0: the target score. Yeah,
1: the target score.
0: Exactly. So so this is one that again, I I had never thought of never heard before the all-star game. And I I love now that we're into kind of the stage of this journey, this project where now we're doing some crowdsourcing, you know, I'd I'd love to get a great idea to to implement or to modify the format. Now, when I think about that one, and again, I've only had a, you know, a week or so to really think about this, but to me, it would seem like if, if you're trailing and you know that you can't lose on a free throw and you're facing game point, then you would just foul automatically. Uh, You would be willing to sacrifice a point or two for the opportunity to go hit a three on the other end. Mm -hmm. And then you would do that on the next possession. And then you do that on the next possession, and it would look just like what we have under the regular format. Uh, So I'm not quite sold on that one, the the subtracting a point
1: rule. Yeah, good call. That doesn't actually de-incentivize fouling at all. I mean, you'd be
0: willing to trade uh, you know the the whole thing that we see now under the regular format is if you're down, you are willing to trade one or two points for an extra opportunity to hit a three. And I think that's exactly what teams would do if if that if they knew they couldn't lose on a free throw and that the worst case was that they had two points
1: subtracted all right. here's a here's another. um the hey partner on Twitter recommends to me guy who fouls, so Kyle Lowry in the situation, he fouled AD, right? The guy who fouls has to stand under his basket at the beginning of a side out of bounds. So it kind of feels like a power play. Team LeBron would have a five on four until Lowry sprints back to the play.
0: Uh, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know what, why. Why are we doing this? <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm not ruling it out. I've only had a few seconds to think about it. Of course, but
1: yeah. What, what is the issue that we're trying to solve here again? The game doesn't end on a free throw. It ends on a made basket, but it sort of de-incentivizes fouling because you don't want to put put yourself in a situation where it's five on four.
0: Yeah, oh, meh.
1: Don't love it. Meh. Okay, last one. Brett Van Zant suggests, kind of like that, uh, borrowing from hockey, the power play, but this is a shootout. Kyle Lowry fa- fouls Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis then goes one on one against Kyle Lowry for the final basket. Meh. Not into it. Meh. Not into it. All right. Well, you know, I'm I'm just trying to fall here. I want part of the action here. I, I mean I know I'm not trying to like rename the ending, but I, I'd like to be involved in some way. Well,
0: I, I'm always open to ideas, as as you know. I mean, uh, but always open to ideas, but they gotta be good ideas.
1: Yeah, it has to it has to beat the current ending, which is the game ending on a free throw, which potentially is not the worst thing in the world. Uh, all right, so let's say Adam Silver sees the All Star Game ending He's like this is perfect. I'm going to give Nick Elam dictator rights to reshape the ending of NBA games. So, in a perfect world, what are you going with? Is it four minutes left in the game? Three minutes left in the game? The fourth quarter? What's the target score? Is it every game? Is it playoff games? Is it instead of overtime? How would you roll out the Elam ending? Yeah, I
0: would. I would do it for every game, and um, I, you know, all this would be. Written in pencil because you know, already for TBT we've made small adjustments to the settings. But uh, for NBA, I would go with the three-minute mark of the fourth quarter and use a plus seven setting
1: for the target score. Is seven yep. too is seven too little with the amount of threes everybody's shooting? Or you're saying at the very least it's a three-possession game?
0: So if we're looking at uh, you know, so three minutes out of a 48-minute game, uh, that's about one sixteenth of the game so that that matches up to about 112 points over the course of a game if you do 16 times seven uh so you know team teams average of scoring about seven points every three minutes in a in an nba game uh so using that same consistent scoring rate if it turns out that that's uh, you know, not enough. Then that could easily be adjusted. Yeah.
1: Okay. So even beyond the the Elam ending, is there anything else you're experimenting with? Something that maybe a little more out there than the Elam ending? Like, uh, I know in the All Star Game, every quarter was worth something, and that kind of made every quarter more interesting. Have you ever taken a look at that part of the game?
0: Yeah, I can't take credit for that. I mean, I know that they wanted to turn each game into a mini game and and uh, you know incentivize that for charity. So I thought it was great uh, as a charity event and. Um, you know, full, full credit goes to the NBA there. Cause that was not, uh, that was not anything that I had discussed with them.
1: Yeah. But is, is there anything like that that you've been tinkering with? I know you've been thinking about this kind of stuff for 13 years. You've even made some minor adjustments in the basketball tournament with regards to the Elam ending. Is there like an Elam beginning or an Elam middle, something else that can be, uh, helped out?
0: Um, no, cause I mean, that, that's the thing I like the style of play we see at the beginning of the game. I like the style of play we see in the middle stages of the game. It's just that I want to see that same style of play continue all the way through. And I think taking the clock away gives us a better chance to see that um, rather than having teams manipulate the clock so much at the end.
1: Yeah, I, I sometimes watch games with like a, a newer viewer, like my girlfriend, and she's like, why are they fouling on purpose? Why, what's the point of stopping the clock? Don't they want the other team not to score as much? So it is a little like unnatural the way these basketball games are ending.
0: Right. And to me, that always seemed like a fundamental flaw that uh, you get to a stage in the game where a team's only recourse is to overtly break the rules of the game. And so i mean that to me was enough of a flaw to address and then it was it was years later after through some research to see that you know once a team has to resort to that fouling strategy that they only come back to win about 1% of the time that was really eye opening to me and that you know it's it's such an ineffective strategy and yet it's still the trailing team's best option and you know, i'd like to give them a better option of just being able to rely on stops and scores
1: yeah and, and yeah. what's the longest like uh, basketball tournament Elam ending has lasted like is there a world where these games last instead of 48 minutes it's like a 68 minute game
0: um so I mean now nothing nothing that extreme but what's cool is we've kind of had this uh, cool dual effect where it's pretty clear that the games that end most quickly under the Elam ending are the blowout games which I think is what you want to see and then the game's uh, that lasts a little bit longer, the drama is necessarily building because the leading team is not getting to the finish line and the trailing team is gaining on them. And that sounds pretty simple, but under the regular format, some of the most drawn-out finishes are where the drama is not building. The The trailing team is having to foul over and over. They're not gaining any ground because they're having to hand away these free points. Uh, so to have that that good dual effect is something that we've seen and we hope to continue
1: Hell yeah. I mean, it was so awesome to watch her in the all-star game. I'm sure nobody would be against, you know, starting to roll it out a little bit in the G league or some preseason games just to see how it looks. It was fun to try to see the, the players try to figure out the strategy in real time. But if you give coaches and GMs a plan to plan on the Elam ending, I'm sure it would only create even more interesting.
0: Endings. Yeah. So, and, and that's, that's what I would love to see is uh, to see coaches really kind of test the limits of it and, um, you know try try whatever strategy they can, and I think the the format is pretty solid as it is. and then you know if, if there ever was a need to tinker with it, I think we've got um, ways of doing that. but uh, yeah, it's we we want at this point, we want coaches and teams to experiment as much as they can.
1: <laughs> well, sir, thank you so much for taking the time and um, hopping on the show. Is there any way people can support? how How can people follow you, follow the e-mending, um sign a petition? <laughs> uh hey, yeah, just keep putting in a good word for the Elamending
0: format, and you can also follow at Twitter at Elamending.
1: Excellent. Well, I know I keep mentioning it, but this feels like a turning point in the movie of your life. We're about to break into Act 2. It's going to be an awesome montage of different leagues and games ending with an Elamending, uh, and I hope we get to see more of it soon.
0: That'd be great to see. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm
1: just waiting for that Elamending 30 for 30 to come out on ESPN. And thanks to you guys for listening. We'll be back soon enough, I'm sure. Bye, everybody. That was
0: a headgum podcast.